Welcome to the Paracel podcast, where we look at the issues, trends, and innovations shaping patient access to new drug therapies, because we're all driven by the same goal, to make life better for patients and improve their odds of survival. It is no surprise that the COVID-19 pandemic is having lasting and far-reaching impact on the drug development industry. Fundamental aspects of drug development, such as on-site monitoring visits, have become nearly impossible. Patients now face physical barriers to participation in clinical trials. Thousands of regulators are working at home. Industry staff all over the world are also being asked to work at home. All of these changes were unimaginable just weeks ago. What does this all mean for tomorrow's medicines in development, whether they be vaccines or treatments for COVID-19 or urgently needed medicines for thousands of other diseases that are widely prevalent or even rare? Today, we are discussing the implications of this pandemic for the important work of drug developers, researchers, and regulators. The pursuit of new medicines cannot stop, must not stop. So, how are we to cope with the new realities? What new behaviors should we adopt to sustain progress? What are the new best practices when working with regulatory authorities, with clinical sites, and with each other? What can we control and what is beyond our control? I am Alberto Grignolo, Corporate Vice President at Paraxel. My guests today are three of my colleagues here at Paraxel, Dr. Bridget Heelan, Dr. Amy McKee, and Jenny Gidley. Both Bridget and Amy are physicians and former regulators. Bridget Heelan is vice president in our regulatory and access consulting group and was a regulator at the UK MHRA. Specifically, she was a medical assessor in the biologicals unit. And on top of that, she was chair of the rheumatology immunology working party at the European Medicines Agency. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you very much, Alberto, and thank you for having me on this um, podcast. Amy McKee is our Vice President of Regulatory Consulting Services and was a regulator at the FDA Oncology Center of Excellence. She was primary clinical reviewer to signatory authority for oncology therapies. Amy, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Alberto. Jenny Gidley is Paracel's Vice President of Global Clinical Operations with broad oversight of all clinical operations leaders around the world. Jenny has worked in the clinical trials industry for 20 years for both pharmaceutical companies and CROs, leading teams in over 40 countries across therapeutic areas. Jenny, welcome to you as well. Thanks, Alberto. Looking forward to the discussion. Let's start with the regulatory side, if we could. Amy, let me ask you to go first. Generally speaking, how are regulatory authorities impacted by the pandemic? You are a former insider at FTA. What do you think they're feeling and thinking right now? Honestly, I think they are working around the clock to help all their stakeholders address the critical issues. They're trying to advance diagnostic tests, therapies, and vaccines in development. They're responding to emergency access requests for patients who have been diagnosed with COVID-19 now. And quite frankly, they're trying to ensure the safety of their own employees. They're working from home as well. They've got a few new programs to address some of these issues, in particular for the development issues that I'll talk about a little bit more later. Okay, thanks, Amy. Bridget, as a UK-based former regulator, uh, both MHRA and EMA, what do you think your former colleagues are thinking and feeling right now? 
Yes, I would echo what Amy said, the sense of urgency, the rapid review of documentation, the increased communication with sponsors who are emailing, requesting information on how to deal with their ongoing trials. So I think the regulators are very busy and very keen to uh, help. Bridget, let me stay with you. As a result of these changes, do sponsors need to work differently with regulators now and maybe in the foreseeable future? And how so? Yes, uh, Alberto, I think that sponsors now need to communicate more with the regulators, certainly with sponsors who have trials in multiple locations. They need to be aware of the ever-changing guidelines and positions of the different regulators to adapt to the needs of, of the patients in their trials. So this impacts on ongoing trials and, of course, for sponsors who have new trials to begin with. I think this communication line is very open with all the regulators, and I think being open with the problems that they foresee and ensuring that their risk mitigation strategies and their risk assessments of the changes that are required in their trials are run by the regulators, even by email or telephone call initially, is a very good idea. I think this will help a lot. Amy, what about working with FDA? Is that going to change from the viewpoint of sponsors? Absolutely. For COVID-related issues, FDA announced on March 31st that they have stood up a coronavirus treatment acceleration program to take an all-hands-on-deck approach for any regulatory issue related to COVID-19. Some examples of this are they're redeploying staff to evaluate submissions for potential coronavirus therapies to be able to triage requests for any COVID-related therapies. And in fact, they want to turn around study protocol reviews within 24 hours for submissions to the agency. Another measure that they've uh, produced is they released a guidance on how to increase safety measures for patients who are on ongoing trials. And it has some very specific recommendations for what you can do within those trials to help make it more safe for patients who are participating on them. So I think the agency is really working hard to try to be responsive to this environment, in particular for COVID-related therapies and diagnostic tests. Amy, do sponsors need to worry about approvals? Uh, We know the sponsors really do want to have approvals for all of their applications. So specifically with respect to regulatory clearance of their clinical trial applications or marketing applications, there could be a worry uh, on the sponsor side about those approvals being delayed because regulators are just too busy with the pandemic to pay attention to more, quote, routine applications for other indications. Do sponsors need to worry about that? So other review divisions are still doing their work, and I have yet to hear from any company or from the FDA that any marketing applications or other submissions have been delayed for products outside of the COVID-19 arena. I think FDA is trying really hard to find creative ways to accomplish some of their work. Some of this relates to inspections that can occur at this time. Some of it relates to how to handle any COVID-related misses when it comes to patient visits or other issues. So they're trying to be very creative to work with sponsors in all disease areas. Given the emergency, uh, vaccines, treatments for COVID-19 appear to be a priority, a global priority. So are potential vaccines and treatments going to be prioritized at this point? And if so, what does that mean for other therapies in the pipeline? 
Absolutely. So as I mentioned, the FDA is triaging uh, submissions for COVID-19 related products, and they are also redeploying staff from areas that may not be as busy at this time so that COVID-19 related products can be prioritized at this time for review of regulatory submissions. This does not mean, however, that other submissions are being ignored. Okay. Bridget, on the European side, what do you see in terms of sponsors worrying about regulatory clearance of their applications or prioritization of COVID-19 over other therapeutic areas? What do you see? I think um, sponsors are somewhat concerned and certainly there are many differences, as Amy has alluded to, in terms of the way things are working with the regulators So getting face-to-face meetings is one of the big disappointments for many people as that's no longer um, common now when you you can't go for scientific advice in person. So that's one thing that's not a delay, but it changes the way um, sponsors work with regulators. I think there have been no delays yet. And I think, as as, uh, Amy says, um, the regulators are working extra hard and, and focusing all their efforts on maintaining the backbone of their work while addressing the COVID crisis. The overriding issue for everybody, of course, is the public health emergency. So clearly that's been given priority, but I've not seen any delays yet. Okay. In light of the pandemic, Bridget, and the constraints that it places on travel and in-person communications, are regulators in any way changing their requirements for, say, clinical evidence, clinical endpoints, study monitoring, adverse event reporting, just to cite some obvious examples? I think the regulators are all completely focused on assuring subject safety, maintaining compliance with GCP and minimizing the risk to data integrity. So they will not in any way compromise on the safety of patients in the trials, nor for that matter, the clinical endpoints will still need to be good enough to show efficacy because ultimately for MAA, you need a positive benefit risk balance. But there will be differences in the way the data is being collected. There is huge flexibility now in terms of how data monitoring is is done, whether virtual trials are possible, home deliveries, mobile radiology units, and delay of the endpoints. But ultimately, the safety and the efficacy of the patients will still be um, a major concern. So adverse events reporting is still necessary. Of course, there are some urgent safety measures that will be necessary. And they can be done, but the regulators need to be informed. So the line of communication is really important during these times and during these rapid changes. How can sponsors cope, given the physical logistic limitations that are now in place rather unexpectedly? Do sponsors need to change the way they communicate with regulators? Absolutely. As I alluded to earlier, there is no option for seeing many regulators face-to-face anymore. So certainly more input by phone and email is is important. And of course, this comes down very importantly too to monitoring of clinical trials and source data verification. So some centralization of this is now allowed. The transfer of electronic data is questionable. It's possible in some regions and not in others, but as long as patient confidentiality is maintained, it is possible in some European countries. Okay. Amy, uh, on the US side, what do you see in terms of uh, you know, regulators possibly changing their requirements for clinical evidence, etc.? 
Well, I would echo much of what Bridget just said. I think in the end, a benefit risk assessment always stands as the final evaluation for any new potential product for a marketing application. However, I think FDA is showing remarkable flexibility in this from uh, all sorts of things, including how a sponsor may document certain things within a trial, such as informed consent, to the type of evidence that a sponsor can use to support a marketing submission. FDA explicitly stated in a new announcement this week that real-world data sources may help accelerate evaluation of COVID therapies, and this is something new and exciting for sponsors to be able to use. So while there are some limitations in place, I think what sponsors can do is come up with creative solutions to submit to the agencies and see how we can work together, all of us, to find new creative solutions to getting the therapies that we need, not just for COVID, but for all therapies in this time uh, to patients and to continue the clinical trials that are so important in so many diseases. Do you feel that FDA at this time is particularly flexible and open to creative ideas as possibly rarely before? I think that FDA has always been open to creative ideas while maintaining their standards. I think this gives us an opportunity to push those boundaries a little bit and see what we can come up with. This is an uh, unprecedented time and it calls for unprecedented measures and being open to new approaches. Thank you both, Bridget and Amy, for your perspective on the regulatory side of things. Let's move to the clinical side of things. Jenny Gidley, you have a global perspective on clinical trials. Just to start off, how have clinical study operations pivoted to adjust to this new landscape? Our first priority is always to focus on the patient and their safety. I think the industry has quickly pivoted to solutioning for these challenges. We're seeing study teams choose to pause enrollment of new patients into trials, as well as delaying the initiation of some new studies and site activations. This allows the investigator sites to focus on those patients that are already enrolled in our studies for their safety and for continuity of treatment. Thus far, we aren't seeing significantly higher dropout rates, But this is something to closely monitor in the coming weeks as the duration of the pandemic increases. In addition to a patient's choice potentially to drop out of a study, there will also be cases where the investigator needs to discontinue the subject due to inability to comply with the protocol or from safety concerns if they cannot continue to monitor the patient safety virtually. We're seeing some ethics committees are deferring their protocol review meetings, and the site staff are being redeployed, as I mentioned earlier, to focus on other critical areas. I think the ultimate timeline impact really remains to be seen. Some of the time, we may be able to recover some of that time if enrollment can move more quickly once our sites are back up and running. It also greatly depends on how long these stay-at-home orders remain in place globally. We are seeing some recovery already in Asia Pacific and countries like China, where activities are resuming, uh, including our on-site monitoring visits. Good news. Um, You've already touched on this a little, but let me drill down a bit more relating to clinical study monitoring. How is monitoring around the world impacted by the pandemic so far? Yeah, truthfully, we're simply aren't able to monitor studies in the traditional way anymore, whereby a clinical research associate or a monitor would have physically traveled to an investigator site to review and monitor the data for a clinical study. 
And that's due to the restrictions that are in place on travel globally and also hospital restrictions limiting visitors at those particular locations. At ParExcel, we've been able to quickly implement procedures around remote monitoring visits. We've actually done this for years on late phase studies, and what we're doing is leveraging our experience in those studies to adapt and apply strategies to our earlier phase two and three studies. Remote monitoring is a structured approach where we do cover the items that are typically reviewed and discussed on site, such as the informed consent process, looking at subject safety, investigational product management, and any other critical project-specific activities. However, instead of in person, these activities are performed remotely using the data that's available to us through electronic systems and through phone or electronic communication with the site staff. And I'd say the other thing that we're looking at is more innovative ways to monitor remotely, thinking forward. ParExcel has technology that enables us to use tools such as our data-driven monitoring application and other risk-based approaches. We're exploring new methods to access source documents remotely, using statistical anomaly detection to identify issues in the data potentially, and using technology such as video conferencing for virtual site monitoring visits, and even implementing telemedicine visits for patients with site staff. It's going to take a multi-pronged approach to successfully navigate this really unprecedented disruption in our way of working. As we know, the development and approval of new medicines and indeed vaccines and diagnostic tests uh, can occur when good clinical practice is applied stringently and strictly. And that means protecting the rights of patients and protecting the integrity of the data. In the comments you just made, uh, I sense some confidence that actually the rights of patients can be protected, the integrity of data can be protected even remotely. Is that the case? Anything more you want to add to that? Yeah, I would agree. Our first priority is always patient safety. You know, truthfully, that's why each of us in this industry come to work every day. We're motivated to get new treatments to the patients who need them most. I think our investigators are finding ways to interact with patients via phone or video They're sending clinical trial material, such as study drug, potentially directly to the patient if those patients aren't able to physically come to the site. And they're managing any other protocol-specific concerns wherever possible to minimize those risks. I think there have been a number of statements and guidance released, you know, related to COVID-19, some of which my colleagues have referred to before um, from the regulatory authorities and even from professional industry, industry groups, such as the Association of Clinical Research Organizations. By reviewing and collating that information from these various documents in a consistent approach, we can apply that to ensure we're upholding patient safety and data integrity. Jenny, finally, how do you think the industry will shift overall uh, as a result of COVID-19? And what I have in mind specifically is approaches to innovation or even the future of the industry as a whole. What are your thoughts about that? I think we are going to see significant industry shift as a result of COVID-19. We're being forced to think outside of the box and really embrace new ways of working. 
a risk-based approach to clinical trials has been an approved method by regulatory authorities for years. However, the industry as a whole has been somewhat slow to move from the traditional 100% on-site source data verification to a more risk-based approach to monitoring. I'm already seeing a shift in more innovative uses of technology, and I think that's going to continue. These changes will ultimately benefit us all if we're able to design new ways to get new treatments to the patients who so desperately need them more quickly. And, and that's our ultimate goal. I would also add that, you know, as for new medicines and, and innovation related to that, we're already seeing a large influx of new opportunities related to the treatment, the testing, and future vaccine studies for COVID-19. We are helping to design those trials to be conducted fully remotely, leveraging some of the technologies I referenced earlier. And we're also seeing a significant reduction in standard startup timelines for COVID-19 related studies. And that's due to the urgency of this unmet need. Ethics committees and regulatory authorities are approving studies in days versus weeks or months. Our sites are incredibly responsive to provide all the documentation and information needed. And here at ParXL, we're looking at every opportunity to save time while preserving the quality and patient safety. Well, it certainly feels like necessity truly is the mother of invention these days, that innovation is going to have to be quite uh, the focus going forward in order for the enterprise to really continue to make progress in the interest of patients. Fair enough? Agreed. Finally, in closing, let's go back to the regulatory side of things. Amy, let me ask you first. Do you think that any of the flexibility that the regulatory authorities may have to adopt and display and are already adopting and displaying during the pandemic will translate into future new pathways or new procedures being adopted permanently? Yes, I absolutely think the potential is there. I would remind everyone that the accelerated approval pathway and the regulations around it were written in response to the HIV era when patients with HIV needed access to new therapies quickly. It was a matter of survival then, and it's a matter of survival now. So I think if there are creative new paths that look feasible for the long term and we can apply them in other disease areas, I think it would be great. Absolutely, I think there's potential. Bridget, your point of view? Oh, I fully agree. I think virtual trials or hybrid trials will become much more accepted. And of course, it's much more patient-centric as well. So I think ultimately, things going well, there will be a benefit for patients um, in trials in the future going forward. Thank you. And, and Jenny, your final thoughts? Yeah, I certainly hope that we see that flexibility continue as well. Drug development at the core is about finding novel methods and being innovative to bring new treatment options to patients. Our entire industry is built on the premise of constant improvement. If these new pathways and procedures are proven effective during the pandemic, I would think regulatory authorities would continue to accept those in the future as well. Great. That brings us to the end of our conversation. I want to thank you all for participating and contributing your insights. Amy McKee, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bridget Heelan, thank you very much to you as well. Thank you very much. Jenny Gidley, thanks very much for your insights on the clinical side of things. Thanks, Alberto. It's been great talking today. Thank you to our participants for joining today and to our listeners for joining as we navigate this new landscape together. 
Paraxel provides a COVID-19 resource center that includes insights and perspective from experts like Amy, Bridget, and Jenny, which you can find by visiting our website, paraxel.com. Until our next episode, we wish our listeners good health and safety during these extraordinary times.